Warning: Listening to this podcast might result in an uncontrollable urge to seek out and engage in difficult conversations and sticky situations. Side effects include increased confidence, comfort with conflict, stronger relationships, and fresh perspectives. This podcast is most effective if shared widely. For optimal benefits, listen once per week. Welcome to the first episode of How Can I Say This, where we talk about how to find the right words when words escape us. I'm your host Beth Bilo, and I am super excited to be welcoming you to this debut episode. Let me give you a little background on how this podcast came to be. When I started coaching ten years ago, my earliest focus was on self-talk and empowering language. It's always been clear to me that the voices in our head are a powerful influence over everything in our lives. In the years that followed, my attention shifted to introversion, which is also very much about understanding and managing our internal world. Over the past two years, I've found myself turning outward. Intrigued by the conversations we're having with each other, a coach colleague of mine once shared the idea that one of the biggest sources of stress in our lives is conversations we're not having. There's also the stress from feedback we're not giving and needs we're not sharing. Plus, there are all the ways that we inadvertently cause tension in relationships because of the way that we express ourselves. And if that wasn't enough, on top of all of that, there's the challenge of the context within which we're communicating, which is sometimes face to face, but often these days over the phone or through texting or on social media. I'm curious not only about the words we use, but our intentions behind them, the way we present those words, and whether we're opening to possibility or holding back out of fear. When I was brainstorming titles for the podcast, I was feeling really stuck. I asked my husband to join me in coming up with ideas. So we had this conversation as we were driving through the Manistee National Forest in Western Michigan. As we were driving along, he asked me, "What's a colloquialism that people use when talking about difficult conversations?" I can't remember the first thing that I said, but the second thing was, "How can I put this?" As soon as I said it, I looked at him. He looked at me, and we knew that that was it. The experience was a wonderful example of the power of being able to ask for help. The next morning, I woke up and realized that how can I say this was more accurate than how can I put this. But to my ears, both sounded right, and I just couldn't decide. So I did what we do these days, and I put the question to my Facebook friends. The results came back almost evenly split. And the more I reflected on it, the more "how can I say this" felt right. That said, it was an interesting experiment to put it out there, since even that question prompted a lot of discussion about the differences between certain words, such as using "put" or "say," or "do," "should," or "shall," and whether to use a question mark or an ellipsis. The nuances between each word choice reinforced one important point: words matter. And if there's ever a time when words matter, it's when there's a lot at stake. It might be our feelings, our beliefs, interests, choices, money, time, relationships, our very identity or livelihood that's hanging in the balance. Being able to talk about those things in an honest, intentional way is key to being in healthy relationship with others and with ourselves. 
When I took mediation training almost a year ago, I was so encouraged by the fact that I was surrounded by people that wanted to lean into conflict rather than run away from it. And that's what I meant by the warning at the top of this episode. My hope is that as you learn and practice the ideas in this podcast, you too will be actively looking for ways to engage in civil conversations and productive dialogue. With any luck, you'll be as excited to jump into the mess as I am. That's what this podcast is here for. We're focused on providing you with tips and resources to feel more confident in your communication, especially when the going gets rough. That includes not just how to say it, but also how to self-manage your emotions, how to examine your wants, needs, and interests, and engage with others in a way that builds relationship. Episodes will feature responses to listener questions, which you can submit online at howcanisaythis.com. I'll be joined by the occasional special guest expert who will offer their take on different communication topics and listener questions. Along the way, we're going to learn a lot about ourselves and our fellow travelers, and I plan for us to have fun doing it. Before we turn to our listener question and special guest, I want to introduce myself as your host. As a professional certified coach, author, speaker, mediator, and facilitator with more than a decade of coaching and consulting experience, I am committed to supporting leaders and their teams in creating a positive culture of communication. I'm the founder of Zopa Consulting, and Zopa is a mediation and negotiation term that stands for Zone of Possible Agreement. I also like to think of it as Zone of Possible Alignment and Zone of Possible Action, because it's that place where um, our interests intersect and we can have forward motion where typically we have been stalled. I provide personalized coaching, facilitation, and learning services to communities, small businesses, and nonprofits. I draw on a range of frameworks in my work, including mediation and conflict management, appreciative inquiry, narrative coaching, nonviolent communication, improv, and the work of Parker Palmer, Edgar Schein, and other personal growth leaders. Since 2010, I've been best known as the introvert entrepreneur. Through coaching, speaking, training, and my book and podcast of the same name, I've empowered thousands of people to embrace their introvert strengths and create more sustainable, energetically aligned businesses. Prior to starting my own business, I was a nonprofit professional with roles ranging from fundraising to marketing to grant making. Well, let's jump in and meet our first guest. Kern Berry is the founder of Pop the Bubble, an initiative born in the wake of the 2016 election. After taking a cross-country conversation road trip with his son, Will, to better understand the source of our divide, Kern created a workshop called Difficult Conversations, the Art and Science of Thinking and Living Together. He's been traveling the country leading the workshop since October of 2017. In addition to his work with Pop the Bubble, Kern is founding partner of Enlight Collaborative, a nonprofit initiative supporting organizations focused on youth engagement. A former vice president of communications for a Silicon Valley technology company, Kern left the corporate world in 2005 to focus full time on his nonprofit work. Welcome, Kern, to How Can I Say This? I am so excited, um, especially because this is the debut episode and you're my first guest. So thank you so much for agreeing to be here. Oh, wonderful. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled. Well, as we heard in the introduction, you started a, a project called Pop the Bubble. Can you tell us how that got started and kind of the basics about what it is all about? 
Oh, sure. Well, it really got started after the 2016 presidential election. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of people, I was really surprised at the outcome. And my reaction to it really was that suddenly I saw that I was living inside of a, of a very small bubble, that what I was assuming was going on in the rest of the country was not at all what was going on. So I was driven to uh, get out of that bubble. And literally, I, I did drive. My son and I took a cross-country conversation road trip starting in January of 2017. And the purpose was to talk to as many people as we could to, to expand our bubble, to hear from them, hear what they were thinking, what's going on, where they thought we were headed. We talked to all kinds of people, um, liberals, conservatives, there was racial diversity, ethnic diversity, gender diversity, and it was just an incredible trip. And when I came home, I would tell my friends about some of the people I spoke with, and um, particularly some of the conversations that I had with uh, conservatives. Mm -hmm. And they would say to me, wow, how could you, how could you talk to those people? <laughs> And, mm -hmm. and I thought, well, actually, I'm going to put the emphasis on the different word. How did I talk to those people? Mm -hmm. And I wanted to create a workshop that I believe um, helps people have the conversations that we need to have with the people that we think we disagree with and have a different value system from, different belief system from. So that's what I did. It took me about eight or nine months to put together a workshop. I've tested it out numerous times now getting a, a very good reaction to it. I'm very, very encouraged. And so that's what I'm doing. That's awesome. Thank you so much for doing that. <laughs> I mean, that's really mm. incredible. And and I'm curious, in your travels during that time initially, before the workshops, but just during the conversations, was there anything that stood out as most surprising or that had the biggest influence on your perspective? Uh, well, one thing was that a, a common theme among conservatives was that they were willing to talk, but they did not want to be vilified. And they were concerned that they would be vilified, so they, mm -hmm. they actually would not be eager to engage. The liberals that I talked to said they wanted to talk, but they were afraid that they would not be able to maintain their composure, mm -hmm. that they would get angry, mm -hmm. it's, which was exactly what the conservatives were concerned about. Mm -hmm. So the, the resulting decision was simply not to engage. And I thought, well, that not engaging is not an option. So how do we do it? So that was really interesting. And then I would say just one other thing is one question I would ask the liberals was, what do you think you did to contribute to this outcome, the outcome of the election? Mm -hmm. And in every case, it really caught them off guard. They hadn't thought that they had actually contributed to it. Yeah. And when they thought about it, though, that what they almost universally said was that they went to sleep and they really weren't aware of the conditions that other people were living in and what their life was like and what their experiences were, which is exactly how I felt. And so it was that sense of disconnection of being out of relationship. Mm -hmm. And that really came to me to be the bottom line. If I were to describe what I think the root of the problem is right now, it's lack of relationship. Yeah. So how is it that we begin to weave this fabric of community back together? Yeah. Well, in the workshop, you introduce lots of wonderful ideas, and one of them stood out to me mm -hmm. as you introduce the process. And you say, it's not about technique, 
It's about self-awareness. It's not about them. It's about you. And I, it, it really jumped out at me because, of course, we're like, well, just tell you know, give me some techniques or strategies and what's wrong with them. <laughs> so you're reminding us self-awareness and it's about you. So can you explain what you mean by those statements? Uh, it's a great question. And I think probably the bottom line for me is that I, I feel like the challenges that we are facing um, as communities, as a country, and certainly as a world, require changes that go way beyond technique. And one way I would describe it is really what we're talking about is an evolution in consciousness. Mm -hmm. Some guiding principles for how to work with each other, um, cooperate with each other that are aligned with this reality that we really are interconnected and interdependent. And for me, that, is a, that, that necessitates a real shift in how we interact with each other. And the reason that I think it's about me and not about them is the only consciousness I have some level of control over is my own. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, with that in mind, I want to turn to a listener question and get your take on it because it's, I think it's right up your alley. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it, it came to me via Facebook. And the, the, the question simply said, how do we deal with folks like this? And since this is a podcast, obviously people can't see this, but it's a picture that was circulated um, quite a bit in the past. And we're talking, you know, mid-August of two gentlemen that are at a Trump rally wearing Make America Great Again hats and saying, I'd rather be Russian than Democrat. Mm -hmm. And so the person who posted this, you know, was feeling very, um, I, I know this person and I know that they were feeling very emotional about it. So I want to talk about this. And I'd like to focus it less in terms of specific party or viewpoint and focus on the essence of what I see as the question, which is, how do we engage with people whose perspectives are not only different from ours, but that we might find morally offensive or that go against our values? Because that's, you know, any side of the debate, you know, they're looking at the other side and they are morally offended or feeling like it's not reflecting their values. And as we're talking about this, I'd love to get your thoughts on engagement on two different levels. First, there's the external, um, when it's someone we know and maybe even someone we love that holds those different values. And then secondly, internally, by how we self-manage our emotions when we read or listen to the news and find ourselves kind of getting worked up and feeling stress and anxiety and hostility, which, of course, then, you know, translates to the external and leads to, you know, lack of engagement. So I, I'd love to get your thoughts on that, on that question of how do we deal with those kinds of chasms in our belief systems? Well, that, that, is, that is a huge question, of course, and it's the question, and, <laughs> yeah. and it's one that, you know, we really address over the course of five hours in the workshop, and even that's not really enough. Right. Um, so with that as a, as a caveat, when we think about that question or that reaction of being offended, mm -hmm. and you think about that, well, why be offended? What good does it do you? You know, the Latin, I was looking this up, the Latin root of offend means to strike against, to hit. Mm -hmm. And the fact is, no one hit you. Oh, yeah. and, and one thing we know about the brain right now through um, studies in neurobiology is that the brain actually cannot differentiate threats to our deeply held beliefs and threats to our physical survival. Mm -hmm. It can't differentiate. Both activate our survival drive. Fight, flee, freeze. Mm -hmm. Now, our survival drive when you think about it, evolved at a very different time in our evolutionary history, right? right? When the most important talent then was to not get eaten. 
<laughs> so your survival drive is ideal mm-hmm. to not get eaten. The most important talent set today is to cooperate. Yeah. So we need to disentangle our deeply held beliefs from our survival drive so that we don't activate this very, very narrow, very rough set of instructions of fight, flee, or free, and apply it to a situation that requires so much more consideration, so much more nuance, so much more strategy, so much more understanding. It's just so incredibly inadequate. And I think that when I say an evolution of consciousness, that's what I'm talking about, is developing that alternate set of responses. So one thing we talk about is one of the implications then is to prioritize the relationship over being right. Mm -hmm. Because when the relationship is broken, when we're in that survival drive, absolutely no communication occurs, no learning occurs. There is no openness. So in order to calm that survival drive, we have to reestablish the relationship. We have to connect. And one really powerful way of doing that, and there's a number of ways, and then I would say, so here, you know, there are strategies for reconnecting that relationship. Um, Someone told me about something called PBS, pause, breathe, smile. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Turns out that smiling is highly contagious, that it's almost impossible not to smile back when someone smiles at you. You know, other strategies are to find something to appreciate in that person, something that you admire, something they said that you can agree with. These are all strategies, right, that that can help us calm down so that we can re-engage. And one of the most powerful ones is to really understand the other person's story. Mm -hmm. If we really understand the story, then we understand how they came to believe what they believe, how they came to do what they do. So... Again, in this workshop, one of the exercises is we have people reflect on their, the peaks and valleys of their life, and they do a little diagram of it, and they reflect on what the experience was and what they learned. And then they pair up and they share that with each other. And it's always the most impactful part of the workshop because what people discover is they start to separate the story, the beliefs, the values, I call that the story, mm-hmm. from the human being. Mm-hmm. And when you connect at the level of our common humanity, an interesting thing happens, which is you actually stop caring about their beliefs and their values that are different from yours. We use examples of that from simply a political shift in beliefs and values, even beliefs and values that the other person might have held that are actually a threat to your race, a threat to your ethnicity, a threat to your religion. Mm -hmm. That when those people connect at the level of their humanity, they learn to accept the person for who they are. Yeah. And when you think about it, acceptance is what everybody wants. Mm-hmm. We all want mm-hmm. to be accepted. Yeah. And when you can accept people for who they are, you then become, and this is the paradox for me, you become the most powerful agent of change mm-hmm. because then that person is so open to you. They want to know what you know. Yeah. They want to know how you are able to accept them so thoroughly it's very, very powerful. Mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. Like, what's the secret? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's really hard to be totally accepting of people when you have that reaction. Yeah. But I think that's what we need to develop. Yeah. You're reminding me of a discussion that we had. I don't remember if it was before or after the election, sitting with a group of folks, and one of them said, I want a new slogan that's make America empathetic again. <laughs> and... <laughs> 
And and that's what comes up as you're sharing this, that by hearing others' stories, it taps into empathy. Mm-hmm. And what I've learned for myself is that as soon as I hear someone else's story, I, like you said, I hadn't thought about it that way, but they cease to become a one-dimensional character that is just defined by whatever that external belief that has been presented and they become a much, you know, a three-dimensional human being with a past, present, and future. And that is a much different relationship. Right, absolutely. One of the videos that I show, and, and if people haven't seen it, it's really, really worth watching. Is It was a TED Talk, and the woman was sharing. Uh, it's called, I Grew Up in the Westboro Baptist Church. Here's Why I Left. Yeah, that's a great and one. West, yeah. Have you seen that? I have, yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, she grew up in an incredibly intolerant religious cult and was approached by, by people who, who by rights would be the most threatened by the beliefs and values of that cult. And they were able to engage her mm-hmm. in relationship. And there were two things in that that I pull out of that for the workshop. And, and one is that they both were actually able to separate themselves from their story. So the woman was able to turn back and look at the experiences that she grew up in. Mm-hmm. And, and in that process and through the interaction with the people that she was talking to, she was able to make their decisions. And the people who were most justified in being threatened by her, they separated her from her story and they connected with the human being. They also separated themselves from their story so that they were not triggered. They didn't fall into that survival drive reaction. They kept the engagement going, and it was civil, and it was constructive. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just such a powerful example of this other approach. Yeah. Well, what would you say if I, let's say I'm walking down the street, and I cross paths with perhaps one of these gentlemen in the photo, and, and I'm sincerely wanting to understand, and I see an opening for a conversation. Like, let's say we're both standing in line at Starbucks or something. And we're we're waiting, and and I'm feeling like, oh, I, you know, I I, I want to say something. What could be something constructive that would at least have the potential for positive engagement? Well, I I, I think to investigate their story. What does that statement mean to you? Mm-hmm. Why do you think that? Mm-hmm. And and to not have an agenda with mm-hmm. them other than to understand. I think that's the most powerful thing you can do. I was thinking about, there was this video that went viral. There was a white nationalist rally going on and there was counter protest. And there was a young African-American man who saw one of the white nationalists kind of emerge from, from a crowd. And he walks up to him and he just hugs him. Hmm. Hmm. And he doesn't let go of him. And he said, but he's talking to him at the same time. He's saying, why do you hate me, man? Mm-hmm. Why do you hate me? Why do you hate? And just says it again and again and again. And the guy doesn't respond, but neither does he break out of the hug. Wow. And then finally, the white nationalist just sort of separates and says, I don't know. Hmm. I don't know why I hate you. And I thought to myself, you see, he accepted the humanity. That was the hug. Mm-hmm. He didn't reject him. And he investigated the story. Why do you hate me? Yeah. He didn't tell him he was wrong. He didn't tell him he was evil. He asked him a question. And that question probably transformed that man's life. I mean, he was stunned. He just walked out and he was like, I don't know why I hate you. It's just a little microcosm of let's stop vilifying. Let's embrace our common humanity and let's ask the question. But it's in the context of relationship. And that's what that hug symbolized to me. 
that we are in this together, buddy. We're together. We're one. All right. That you just, I, I wish I had Kleenex because cause those kinds of stories are just so touching and so so powerful. So I'm, thank you for sharing that. It just um, makes me feel good. I want you to know that. I mean, you know, this is your expertise, so <laughs> I, I appreciate the humanity of it. It's wonderful. So as we wrap up here, Kern, um, what do you feel like, you know, you've learned in, in your travels and your conversations that is the most important thing to remember when we are feeling called to engage in this kind of dialogue um, that that could be potentially contentious, but it's with someone we care about and we want to help mend the relationship. What What's the most important thing to remember? I, you know, I guess it's less of a, of a thing to remember and more of a thing to do, mm-hmm. which is, is um, are you entering the relationship with an attitude of total acceptance? of the other person. I think if your attitude is you want to change them, Mm -hmm. that just isn't the basis of of a healthy relationship or a healthy conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So that can be work. And I would say that I'm so fascinated by this idea that self-integration and interpersonal integration are the same thing. And that this is actually a, a neurobiological reality that when we're in a a strong reactive state to another person's views, there's a disconnect in our own brain between lower brain, the emotional centers, and the neocortex, right, which is where reasoning is, but also self-reflection and morality and empathy. There's that break in that connection. And that to reconnect, we have to reconnect the relationship. Mm -hmm. So in the act of interpersonal integration, we've achieved self-integration. It's just one more example of the fact that we are just so connected to each other. And I think that is a beautiful thing that we need each other. We need each other to integrate individually and integrate collectively. Well, that's a beautiful note to close on. So thank you so much for that. Lots to chew on there. And I will definitely be sharing um, your website. And I know as part of your website, you have a navigation item is called the science and probably gets more into the the neuroscience of all of this and how our brains are responding. And so I'll make sure that we're linking to that as well. So thank you so much, Kern. And thank you again for the very important work you're doing to help heal the divide. And ultimately, I know that there's a huge ripple effect that we might be talking about politics, but it really transcends that. It's way bigger and beyond. And so thank you for being a catalyst for this. Well, thank you. And thank you for your work. I mean, doing a podcast, that is a lot of work. That's commitment. And I'm just so pleased that (laughs) that you you contacted me to be part of it. So thank you again. Well, thanks for saying yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. How, How could I not? As Kern said, this is a topic that could be explored for hours, days, or even years. And bookshelves are full of ways to bridge that kind of conversational and political divide. Therefore, I am sure I'll be having Kern back to talk more about how we can self-manage our responses to situations that trigger us and bridge our differences, even when it seems impossible. I'm going to close with two calls to action. First is to notice how you approach conversations in your life. What is your intention? Is it to influence or change someone's mind? To be right? To win the argument? Whenever you find any of those as your motivation, take a moment to shift your intention to being understanding and curious. What would it sound like to put relationship before righteousness? When you consider, how can I say this? It might sound like, 
Help me understand where you're coming from. What do you mean by that? How did you come to that conclusion? To support that shift, here's call to action number two. Practice what Kern shared about PBS. Pause, breathe, smile. Doing that will help you recenter and keep an open heart and mind, allowing space for the shift to curiosity. You'll find links to Kern and Pop the Bubble, as well as the various resources mentioned in this episode at HowCanIsayThis.com. This was a seriously fun conversation and very informative. I really look forward to the next episode when I'll be talking with psychologist and author Lori Helgo about dealing with bullies and narcissistic types, as well as responding to listener questions. If you have a how can I say this question to submit for a future episode, there are two different ways you can do it. You can use the online submission form at howcanisaythis.com, or you can leave a voicemail 24-7 at 562-704-6643. And here's that number again, 562-704-6643. And no worries if you don't have a way to write that down. The number is listed on the same page as the online submission form. And no matter how you submit your question, whether you leave a voicemail or you use the form, you can use your name or you have the choice to be completely anonymous if you like. Feel free to ask about a generic situation or get more specific. Either way, we would love to hear from you. And if you enjoy this podcast, please share it with family, friends, and colleagues. I also invite you to take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. We want to transform the lives of as many people as possible, and subscribers and reviews help boost the visibility of the podcast so more people can find us. Thank you for your consideration and your support. This is Beth Bilo, and you've been listening to How Can I Say This? Thanks for joining me today, and I invite you to take what you've learned here and use it to speak up, speak out, and speak courageously.